In this episode, we're going to be talking about the in-season tournament, the athletic power rankings, talking about the Spurs, some Zion drama, and more. So let's just get right into it. Time out! Time out! All right, welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Timeout Talk. We're your hosts, Raphael Singer. And Hunter Leon. And the in-season tournament concluded last night. The Los Angeles Lakers are the reigning in-season tournament champs. You know, they're Better 18, baby! Better 18! <laughs> LeBron's fifth ring! LeBron's fifth ring. I mean, incredible <laughs> what he's doing at age 39. But it was a good game and overall a very entertaining in-season tournament. Um, the Lakers defeated the Indiana Pacers, which, Hunter, we have to give you credit here. You did predict that. Um, I All of my finalists were incorrect. I had the Kings against the Celtics. That didn't end up happening. Um, but, Hunter, at least you got one out of two finalists correct. Mm-hmm. So props to you. Um, but, yeah, I guess let's start by talking about that finals match. I mean, what did you see in that game? From the Lakers, how are they able to beat the the red hot Indiana Pacers, who have you know like the best offense in the whole league? Um, and yeah, what, what were your thoughts on the the finals? Yeah, I think what we saw first of all was the value of defense, just in general, the value of energy, defense, and I mean the commentators talked about this live. Like you can prepare for like you know heavy defense, double teaming, but you can't really recognize certain things until you're in the game. Like the Lakers are a very long team. They have a lot of very athletic, large players. Like if you're Tyrese Halliburton, you're six one, you're going against, you know, your defender is Jared Vanderbilt, who's six nine with a seven one, seven two wingspan. That's a big monumental task to get the normal passes, the normal shot selection you'd like off. Mm-hmm. And if it's not him, it's Cam Reddish, who's also another guy six seven, six eight with another seven foot wingspan. And if not them, then you're going against smart defenders like Austin Reeves and D'Angelo Russell. So the Lakers, this is a very smart team, a very large team, a very athletic team. And they played to their strengths really well. Um, We saw the Pacers really stuck in this game, which I was really surprised surprised by for the most part, because I felt the Lakers were winning by far more than they were. So I give tons of credit to the Pacers and their offense because they were getting shots up no matter what, uh, even against Anthony Davis. And a lot of the other guys stepped up. Like uh, Isaiah Jackson played really well. Aaron Neesmith played really well for them. Uh, and they have a bright future over there because these are this is a young team. Um, but ultimately, I think Anthony Davis was the real difference maker. He stepped up yeah. uh, on offense, really. Because, I mean, we know what he does defensively every night, and people don't give him enough credit for that. But having 40 points, Anthony Davis have 40 points and let LeBron take the back steep, that makes the Lakers unstoppable. It is so hard when Anthony Davis knows exactly what he wants to do on the court, and he does every single thing he can. Uh, and the Lakers just paid, played inside-out basketball, and clearly that strategy still works because the Lakers only shot 2 of 15 from 3 in this game. They only shot 15 threes, and they still won by a uh, around 15 to 18 points. Uh, I don't remember the exact score. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, Rafa, what did you think of that game? I think that, well, first of all, I think it's pretty funny how I think LeBron and AD play their absolute peak together when it's some strange championship game in a third party in a, you know, unprecedented sort of environment. You know, we hit the bubble in 2020 and now the in-season tournament in Vegas. Um, So I just think that's funny. Like if only they could put this together in the, in the playoffs. um, The Lakers are the Kings of the Mickey mouse. 
Apparently, the Mickey Mouse yeah. tournament, the Mickey Mouse uh, ring, you know, everything just how it yeah. goes. <laughs> but overall, I was impressed as well uh, with Anthony Davis. I think he came out, you know, looking to score, looking to get to his spots um, and just was dominant this game. I mean, the, the box score just tells you everything you need to know there. And yeah, the Lakers defense really is what powered them through. I think Indiana is a team that gets really far on their offense. I mean, as I was saying, they're like number one in points per game and um, uh, threes per game and all these different offensive metrics. And so if you're going to beat them, it's going to be on the defensive end because you're not going to outscore them. Um, and that's exactly what the Lakers did. I mean, it was just a, a great group, a great group effort and a great game plan by Darvin Ham there. And uh, the, Lakers, the Lakers. Yeah, go ahead. I was going to say they held up to 109 points, which is probably one of their lowest scoring performances of the season. So very impressive. Absolutely. And I think you, you saw guys like uh, Tyrese Halliburton getting bothered by the Lakers length and just their um, defensive tenacity. Um, but ch- switching gears uh, quickly, uh, I also actually, one last thing, the Lakers, uh, I just want to mention LeBron James throughout this whole tournament. I mean, what a performance we saw from him. He just looked so dominant in, in so many of these games. I think the his best game of the tournament was against, um, I mean, you could say it was against Phoenix, but the Pelicans, I, probably. Yeah, I, I would say against New Orleans. I mean, just so incredible what he was able to do in just such a short period of time. That game started off close and then like quickly avalanched into a complete blowout, right? And you, you see these highlights where LeBron is just taking three after three, one dribble past half court, pulling up um, like incredible scenes there from a 39 year old guy um, and, and just very deserving of that in-season MVP, but now changing gears, uh, talking about the Pacers, Hunter, I want, you mentioned a couple guys, you mentioned Isaiah Jackson, you mentioned uh, Aaron Neesmith, um, who else do you think it, uh, contributed to the Pacers uh, making it this far uh, in the tournament, and uh, I guess, like, what, um, what are your general thoughts on Indiana as a whole? Yeah, I mean, I think this is such a deep team, I don't think I, that the NBA, or just fans in general recognize how deep this team is they this is a real 11 12 12 man deep roster uh and that's guys like Obi Toppin came into the starting lineup and he's been hitting his three uh and he's just been very aggressive on the glass and he's been doing a great job TJ McConnell has been amazing coming off the bench and taking that uh you know backup point guard minutes he's very crafty uh very very good uh on the defense gets a lot of crafty steals and he has like a great uh, mid-range, uh, like very kind of like Dennis Schroeder, where he'll run around the floor for a while and then just find that nobody's on them and then just pop an open jumper and he'll hit it. Um, like again, Aaron Neesmith, Isaiah Jackson, Bruce Brown has been really great for this team. He's kind mm-hmm. of been streaky though, like he's on the court, off the court. But a lot of these guys are. I feel like this is a team where they kind of stick to a nine-man rotation, and whoever's hot stays in, uh, and whoever's not. And it gets bumped out. But Isaiah Jackson, I'm going to talk about him for a minute. This is a guy who, you know, I think he was uh sophomore is picked in 2023 or sorry, 2022. And he really locked up Giannis. Not, not like, I mean, locked up is a strong word to use when, you know, Giannis scores 37 and 10, <laughs> but <laughs> um, I mean, like he did a good job for preventing Giannis from getting to the cup in a lot of instances. And this is a guy, you know, you're, you're talking about just some random guy on the Pacers versus a uh, two-time MVP superstar. 
And mm-hmm. you know, I think that he's he's been pretty solid for them. Um, you know, overall, yeah. this is just a team that's been red hot from three, like like we've been saying. Uh, and obviously, Tyrese Halliburton is uh, to blame for for that. But just on Tyrese Halliburton, who does he remind you of most? I know we've mentioned Chris Paul many times, but if you had to come up with another player comp that wasn't Chris Paul, who would you say? I would honestly say Steve Nash. I think that, you know, the just the dynamic passing, the low turnovers, how intelligent he is as a player, um, and just, like, the high efficiency on all areas of the court, right? Halliburton, like, is such an, a cerebral player. He's never making bad decisions. Um, and just when he does look to score, he's incredibly efficient. And I think that he's one of those guys, like Nash, who, if they wanted to, they could be a a premier scorer in the league, but instead look to facilitate to get their teammates involved and do that at an elite level. Um, so I would say he's a bit of a mix between Steve Nash and Chris Paul. Um, did, did any other players come to your mind? Yeah, I honestly think he has a lot of Magic Johnson in him as well, like a modern Magic Johnson uh, mm. in a lot of ways. High I praises were given him. CP3, Steve Nash, Magic Johnson. Well, I think in his personality, he's a lot like Magic mm. Johnson. In the way his teammates view him, I think... The, I mean, obviously there's no Kareem and there's no James Worthy, but I think this team and like this, their style of play, you can make a lot of comparisons to like a modern version of Showtime. Um, That's an incredible... <laughs> Jesus Christ. No, I'm, I'm serious. I'm very serious. What? You don't, you the don't 2023 have... Indiana Pacers are like the Showtime Lakers? No, not nearly as good. I'm saying <laughs> in their style of play, it's you can kind of, you feel like that kind of... Miles like, Turner is like Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Yeah, I mean, basically... I don't really see much of a difference between the two of them. Like <laughs> I was saying, if I want anyone on Kristaps, it's going to be Miles Turner because he's essentially the equivalent of Kareem Abdul-Jabbar in today's <laughs> game. <laughs> no, but, you know, th- th- what I'm saying is obviously they're not nearly as good of a team. Obviously, you don't have a guy like Kareem. You don't have a guy like James Worthy. But in the style of play, I think Tyrese Halliburton brings a lot to the table of what Magic Johnson brought in his personality to a team and elevated everybody else's play in a way that even Chris Paul and even Steve Nash didn't do on their teams. I think Tyrese Bert- Halliburton's doing it at a different level. Mm. I mean, that remains to be seen, in my opinion. Like, yes, the, the Pacers are off to a great start this year, but um, whether they're going to keep this up is to be seen, and obviously whether these yeah. results will translate to the playoffs. So uh, I would not make that comparison just yet to Magic. That's fair. Um, but, you know, you do you. Uh, but one person <laughs> I do want to compare – Tyrese Halliburton too is Shea Gilgis Alexander, who I think is another young, super promising star. Um, not promising. I mean, he's a solidified star, right? First team All NBA kind of guy, and doing incredible things with the Thunder, solidifying them as pretty much a, a three seed so far this year. Um, so I, I would ask you, Hunter, if you were a GM building a team from scratch, and, and you're getting your first pick, are you taking Tyrese Halliburton or are you taking Shea Gilgis Alexander? That's hard. That's really hard, and I don't think there's a wrong answer to this question. I'm going to value the sort of skills that Tyrese Halliburton brings to the table a little more. I prefer the the pass-first mentality, the low turnovers, the the smart basketball. I mean, like, I don't think Shea is the wrong answer. I just think it's the kind of the type of basketball you prefer, because I think finding other people open looks is more valuable than being able to create those looks. And I think Shea is a very good playmaker. He's very crafty. He's shown that. He gets double-digit assists some nights. But 
I'm the guy who's going to consistently do that. And I think the guy who kind of came into the league and kind of transformed that sort of mentality is LeBron James. I think he was the first guy to come into the to the league with this pass first mentality, like a true pass first mentality. Even if I should be the guy to score, I should find the right play. And I think Tyrese Halliburton kind of follows that model. Hmm. It's actually kind of incredible to see. Um, I, or, or sorry, I guess to rephrase that slightly, I think that people don't give Shea enough credit for how dynamic his game is. I mean, yeah, I think he's, he's taking a, a massive, passer, don't get me wrong. not only passing, I think he's taking a massive step up defensively this year too. I mean, he's averaging close to three steals a game. He's had five, I think five straight games with five plus steals, um, you know, this season. And these are clutch steals too, not just like uh, ticky tacky ones, but to solidify and win games. Right. And I mean, I just like to answer the question, I'd probably run with Shea. I think that, you know, for him to be scoring at such an elite level, uh, high efficiency while, you know, translating these to wins too. It's not like he's just putting up empty stats. The Thunder are a winning team and are, are beating uh, out a lot of very solid opponents this season. Um, and so I think that Shea's game has really progressed so um, so much year after year. And obviously Tyrese has been incredible too. And you see the, the leap he's done. Um, and like, I honestly, I think by the numbers, Tyrese might even be more efficient, but I think just the volume for Shea is what's great. Like for him to be doing this while, while averaging 30 points a game. And also one more thing is that I've seen more in the clutch from Shea, which I think is important because that's not something that's you true. can teach. And I think that, you know, that's, that's, just such an uh, intangible sort of asset to a player that is immensely valuable. So I'll probably run with Shea, but I don't, I don't think it's a bad take to say. Yeah, no, I don't think there's a wrong answer again. Like, I think that you made a lot of good points there. Uh, I just think it kind of depends on what you're looking for in the, in your team. Definitely. Um, But, you know, kind of talking about something we touched on a little bit, what do you think this tournament says about the postseason and what's to come in the future? Not just for the Pacers and the Lakers, but the the other teams who participated in it, or maybe even those who didn't participate in it. Yeah, honestly, I don't really put the, that much stock into this tournament as some sort of barometer or indicator of how the playoffs are going to go. I don't think that Boston is going to be a first round exit this year. I think they're too talented. Drew Holiday and Chris Tapps have fit in too well, and I think that you know, just the format of this tournament, with it being single single elimination, will lead to a little bit of funky results, right? Even in March Madness and right. other single elimination formats, the team that wins is not always the best team. Or even in, you know, the NFL, right? Like the team that wins the Super Bowl is typically not the best team that whole season. Um and that's just the nature of these kinds of tournaments. So I don't put too much stock into it. I think also the players and the teams don't like if you're the Bucks, you're not too worried about losing to the Pacers or if you're even Phoenix, you're like, whatever. It was one game we lost. Like, we still have eyes on the championship. So let's just keep our head up. Um, and obviously, there's some teams that are going to be competing for a championship that weren't in this tournament, right? Like, Denver was not in this tournament. Uh, reigning champions, obviously. Uh, teams that have been on the rise this year, like uh, the Timberwolves or OKC, they were not mis- they were not present in this tournament. So I view this as this kind of fun exhibition. It was a good time. Um, but whether it has serious uh, sort of implications or, I guess, uh, suggestions for how the playoffs might play out, I'm not going to put too much stock into that. Yeah, that, that, that's fair. 
Uh, and what do you think, I mean, along with that, I feel like that a lot of commentators have kind of been like talking about how this matters and how it has implications for the postseason. When, like you said, that might not be necessarily true because single game elimination, things happen, can be kind of wonky. You know, the NBA really hyped up this whole tournament. We've talked about it, the commentators being very artificial in certain ways and, you know, being like, oh my God, you hear the energy that's because of the in-season tournament or even mm -hmm. like them bringing these massive like basketballs, a massive trophy, massive hoop and putting it in all, all around Las Vegas and like hyping this up way more than they've ever hyped any like NBA finals even. So what do you think about how they hyped it up? Like art, very artificially, like, but that might might not necessarily be a bad thing. Like, do you think it was too artificial? Well, one thing before I get to that is like, I think it's so funny how much they hyped up this tournament compared to like the NBA Finals last year when it was Denver versus Miami. Like, how much, how many promotional videos did you see about that? How many like big in person sort of promotions or advertisements did you see for that finals? And the answer is not really uh, anywhere near as what we saw this year. Um, so in terms of how artificial the promotion was, yeah, I think anytime you're trying to start something new, it is going to feel a little bit artificial, right? They have to sort of make it seem important. They can't just be like, well, I mean, like, it's kind of there, I guess, whatever, like the players are sort of competing, like they have to make it seem really important. It's sort of one of those fake it till you make it situations like you kind of artificially make it seem important until it actually does become important and players take it really seriously. Um you and I were talking earlier today about how, you know, the, if this is the first in-season tournament, it's going to feel a little weird, a, a little out of place. But, you know, starting today, there's going to be uh, NBA fans growing up that all they know is the in-season tournament. And it's uh, as, you know, as common or uh, as important to them as maybe the NBA finals, maybe not as important, but, you know, as solidified as part of the game and as part of the NBA season. And so I think only it's only going to grow in importance over time. And I think that this uh, sort of artificial feel to it all will definitely die down in, in future seasons. Uh, do yeah. you, are you sort of on the same page with that? Yeah, no, I think we're on the same page. And then, gotcha. You know, I was going to just ask question. them. Oh. I want to ask you this one. Um, would you just say the tournament has been a success overall and follow up to that? What would you change for next year? Cause obviously the NBA iterates on their, you know, product every single time. So what would you change for next year to make this better? Uh, I think overall, this is definitely a successful tournament. I think the whole point of this was increase interest uh, in viewership from the fans at a kind of a, a low point in the season. I think that was absolutely a success. Um, no question, this increased viewership. There was definitely a sense of, of stake players were invested in this which made fans invested in this and i think the biggest concern going into this was why why is a guy like lebron why is a guy like kevin durant going to care about this kind of thing they've been in the nba for so long this is some random new thing and clearly they like the competition and you know it's nice to win some money nice to kind of just win something even if it's brand new and i think that you know it really was nice to see the players care about it uh, what would they change the actual tournament itself, I really liked it. Like, I know there were some players who complained about, like, the point differential system because, you know, it kind of felt like teams were stat padding and it was disrespectful at the end of games. But that's kind of just a byproduct, and that's more of, like, kind of like an NBA culture thing and not, like, an actual issue with the tournament. Um, no, I really think the format of the tournament was good. The one thing I would change is I think this tournament should be one or 
two months into the NBA season as opposed to like two weeks into the season. Because yeah. now it's not even mid-December. The tournament is over. We're going to have the Christmas games in two weeks. That's going to be exciting. And then there's going to be nothing in the NBA for four months for the casual fan. I think if you have this tournament... Uh, you have the All-Star weekend, you know, trade deadline. Right. But I think if you start this tournament in the end of December or the start of January, and this it gets drawn out until February or the beginning of March, that's the dead spot in the NBA season. I think we're still early enough in the NBA season where the casual fan gets to enjoy the first month or two of the NBA season, the first 15 to 20 games I think most people do end up watching. Well, I think to play sort of devil's advocate, uh, the NBA is in a bit of a tough uh, stretch with scheduling this tournament because you don't want to schedule it in March. Obviously, you'd be competing with March Madness, and that sort of defeats the whole purpose. You know, February, it's the Super Bowl, NFL playoffs are happening. So you sort of... That's valid. There is no real good time to schedule this, right? Because April, you're gearing up for the playoffs. You wouldn't want to have a tournament right before. So by nature of how these things work out, you kind of have to put it at this uh, place, even though it's a bit uh, like not ideal, as you were saying, because you're just starting the season and boom, in-season tournaments starting. Um, I think that, I don't know how many changes I would make, but I would say maybe, I wish they, they made it a little bit easier to follow for like a casual fan um, for like how the in-season tournament works and which games are in the tournament and like why. Because I think if you're just a yeah, casual fan, turning in for to tuning in for the first time, even us at certain points, like it's hard to figure out. Like, oh, okay, this is a regular, this is an in-season tournament game because they have to play it. Like, who's playing who? Why are the groups this way? Like, I just didn't understand a lot of the decision-making processes behind this, and so I, I guess maybe it'll become clearer with time. But that's the one thing I would say. And I guess the last yeah. point I want to make is. Uh, just talking on how like artificial the tournament feels. Do you remember the first play-in tournament three years ago in the bubble? How that was sort of implemented and that felt a little weird and the format still wasn't there. It was super confusing. It, a, it was the year after the bubble, I believe. No, it was in the bubble. Was the first in-season play-in tournament in the bubble? I think yes. It was the year after the bubble. No, I'm almost certain. Was, no, it was the one when the Lakers and the Warriors played. It was 2021. It was when the stands were empty, but they were playing back in the arena. No, that was the second one. The first, because I remember the Maybe. Blazers won their way to play, getting the eighth seed, and they played the Lakers uh, in that uh, playoff series. But I, I just the point I'm trying to make is that that felt weird. The plan felt weird initially. It didn't really make much sense, and the format was a bit rough around the edges, but the NBA, they listened to the feedback, they made improvements, and now the NBA, the play-in is just accepted as part of the status quo. You know, it's just part of the game. Uh, teams compete for it, and we all sort of accept it. So um, I think that, way, you know... Right. It was the bubble. Yeah. Uh, so, like, with time, I think we're all going to come to ex- uh, accept this thing. And, um, yeah, I guess we, we may owe the NBA a slight apology. I know we were super critical on the idea of an in-season tournament, and it only seemed worse as they kept announcing the details but it ended up being okay it ended up being pretty good and the lakers won so no complaints no i cannot complain when my uh my team wins absolutely i think th- so, i think that's a good place to call it with the uh laker or the in-season tournament lakers pacers talk yeah i want to ask you about um uh something else which is the athletic um came out with 
uh, power rankings for all the NBA teams as of uh, five days ago. So not really taking into account this in-season tournament, but they created seven tiers um, and placed teams in them. And I want to get your thoughts because there's some, I would say, controversial picks uh, with these uh, power rankings. So tier one, they have as contenders and there's four teams here. It's the Wolves, the Celtics, the Nuggets, and the Bucks. Tier two, they have, uh, it's called Brink of Contention, and that's just the Suns and OKC. Uh, tier three are playoff teams. That's the Magic, the Knicks, the Sixers, Pelicans, Kings, and Mavs. Tier four is playing or better, um, and that's the Pacers, the Heat, the Lakers, Cavs, Hawks. Tier five is looking to make the play-in, and that's the Clippers, Nets, Raptors, Warriors, and Rockets. Tier six is not tanking yet, but maybe someday. And that's the Grizzlies, Bulls, Blazers, Hornets, and Jazz. And tier seven is called incomprehensibly bad. And that's the Wizards, Spurs, and Pistons. So, Hunter, let me hear your thoughts. Yeah, I mean, I really dislike this ranking just overall. I like the the names of the tiers. I like incomprehensibly bad. Good, good on them for making that name. Um but to me, this just kind of looks like a reflection of the standings. This isn't a reflection of where they think teams lie. Because why are the Grizzlies in the not tanking, but maybe someday will be? This is a team that was the two seed last year and made it to, what, the second round of the, you know, the Western Conference playoffs. This is a team that will be getting John Morant back within two or three games and really should be in play or better, at least. Because this is a team will clearly rise in the standings once they have John Morant back. This is this is not a team looking to make the play-in. Or Sorry, this is not even a team looking to make the play-in. This is a team that's playing or better. Right now, they're, they don't even have them at Tier 4. They have them at Tier 6. Um, do you agree but with okay, that? Okay, it, it's it's based off this season. And I think, like, yeah, based off this season, I would not I would put them looking to make play-in because, yes, with Jaw coming back, that's uh, where I think they're going to be, like fighting for but a plane spot. Looking, they're not even looking to make the plane, though. They're like in their head, and I think as a fan. Okay, okay. I guess they're play in or better. They're not going to miss the plane. There's no way. Andre, have you seen how bad their team has been? And plus, missing so many key pieces and Steven Adams, Brandon Clark, and just the pieces they do have. Jaron Jackson's been disappointing. Desmond Bain has been good, but he's pretty much the only bright spot there. They are missing so many guys. Obviously, not having Jaw, it's going to take some time for him to uh, reincorporate with this team. So I think it's unfair to just sort of be like, based off this season, they're a playing team or better solidified. Right. Especially well, because it's like, put replace a couple teams above them, right? Like in, in the tier four, tier five teams, what teams are you going to move to missing the playing entirely um, that you're going to have the Grizzlies there instead? Probably the Raptors I could move down. I mean, how how are the the Raptors in the East? How is that going to work? But this isn't a tier list based off of moving teams like that. I mean, you don't have to move a team up to move a team down in this tier. But okay, based off this season, the Raptors have been better than the Grizzlies. Look, I just think that's going to age poorly once John Morant comes back because I think people really do forget how good this Grizzlies team is, regardless of the injury. But it's you can't you can't make a power rankings based off of like some future prospects if jock or when jock comes back and if they get really good all of a sudden then they'll rise in the power rankings it's just a, a snapshot of where they view the nba as of december 5th 2023 well, regardless 
we can move on to looking at some of the other things. I think having the uh, OKC out of contenders is kind of crazy. I think OKC should absolutely be in contenders. This is a team that's definitely been proving themselves. I think the Lakers are too low at playing or better. That's ridiculous. This is a team that's now with the four seed. Obviously, this is before the, the tournament, so their stock is higher than it was when they made this list. Um, I think the Hawks are probably a little too high as well, playing or better. I think this is a team that's looking to make the play-in. They've been mediocre. They're still very mediocre. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think they're probably a little bit uh, too high on the Pelicans. They have them at you know playoff team. This is we we've heard the Zion drama. I think they should be playing or better, or maybe even looking to make the play-in. I think the Pelicans are going to struggle um, relatively soon. But you know, I I. There's a lot of things I could critique on this list, but I think one of the bigger ones is definitely the Clippers at looking to make the play-in. This is a team that, yes, maybe this James Harden trade was not bad, or not good for them, but I mean, you cannot have them at looking to make the play-in. This is a team that's at the very least playing or better, but most likely a playoff team. This is a team that's going to figure it out for Hall of Famers, for All-Star level players. Hunter, how how many teams do you think are playoff teams though? Like that's that's the question here because let's let's give like I'll give you right now six solidified or I'll give you yeah I'll give you six solidified playoff teams right Timberwolves Thunder Mavericks Nuggets will go I mean not to kind of we'll say Suns right I'm pretty sure Suns are gonna make the playoffs um and then we'll say Lakers right or even um Kings right you want to put the Kings in there how how are the Clippers gonna be ahead of any of those teams what I'm saying is, the, I'm saying at the very least, they should be playing or better. They should be up a tier. They should not be in the looking. Okay, sure, I'll agree with you there. I do think they should be playing or better. Um, because there's a big difference between looking to make the plan and playing or better. Like I feel like the the gap between those tiers is the largest between any two tiers. Yeah, that's that's true. I think that it's a bit, it's a bit hard because like, you know, you got to gauge also like, or I mean. In, in your head, you're thinking, oh, the Clippers will figure it out. They will be better. But so far, they haven't shown us that. Same thing with the Grizzlies. Same thing with a couple of other of these teams. Also, the Hornets not being incomprehensibly bad is crazy. They haven't been as bad as the other three teams. I mean, the, the, the Pistons are on a 17-game losing streak. The Spurs are on a 15-game or 16-game losing streak. The Wizards have been dreadful with the, like, the worst one-two punch in the entire NBA. <laughs> At least there's a couple bright spots with the Hornets. And also, I mean, if you even compare their win totals, right, you can literally, if you sum up the Wizards, Pistons, and Spurs win totals, you'll get eight wins. The Hornets by themselves have seven wins. So yeah. that at least differentiates them a little bit. Okay, that's fair. Well, so overall, do you think this is a decent list? Yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a decent list. I don't know if I would be like... Like, if I was a betting man, right, like, I don't think the Wolves are serious contenders, if I'm being honest. Like, I don't think they're going to be fighting for a championship this year. I think they're still a year away. But actually, I don't know. It's, it's yeah, just I don't a think bit... you could say that. They're top defense in the league. Like, yeah, but... Bear. Anthony Edwards has been that guy, and Carl Anthony Towns kind of taking that back seat. They have a lot of great role players. I they, know, but this like if I'm just worried it's going to be a regular season kind of thing. It's like but, back when the Jazz used to be the one seed every year. Like, was anyone really viewing them as serious contenders? Even when they had, like, a top defense with Rudy Gobert, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, that's fair. 
But I guess we'll like that's a, that's a conversation we have to have playoff time. It's just a matter of like how do you gauge when a team sort of becomes legit when they've been a top regular season team. When when do you gauge that they've made that jump into having that translate to serious playoff results? Like the Denver Nuggets is a good example. They've always been a great regular season team, but it was only last year that they really made that jump into being like a dominant playoff kind of team. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I think we can move on from there though. After talking about the the, the power rankings, to talking about uh, the poor man's team rankings, the Spurs talk. Um, I wanted to talk about the fact. You said they've lost 16 straight games. Um, you know, even though Wemby Wemby's been really great for them, putting up he had 21 and 20 against Chicago. He's been very efficient. He's averaging like three blocks a game. Um, you know, he's been great. Uh, I think that Greg Popovich has been trying to do something pretty interesting. He's been getting a lot of hate for it as of late, and he's been trying to run Jeremy Sochan at the the point forward position, like kind of experimenting with him. Uh, when Victor Womanyama and Jeremy Sochan are on the court, when Sochan's running the point, they have an offensive rating of 96.5, which would be by far the worst in the NBA. But when Trey Jones, their their true point guard, runs the point with Womanyama on the floor, they have a 113.7 offensive rating, uh, which would be the 13th best in the NBA. Uh, so do you think this is something that you know, maybe the Spurs should kind of give up on with the Sochan uh, you know, point forward experiment? Because it hasn't been very successful so far. Yes, um, and I'll tell you why. I think that Jeremy Sochan and Victor Wembanyama, for whatever reason, don't really gel that well together um, on the court, at least when Sochan is running the point guard. I think that Trey Jones knows how to utilize Vic a lot more, and he gets in the ball a lot more frequently. It's frustrating watching the Spurs sometimes with Sochan at point guard because he just won't give Wembanyama the ball. I don't know what it is. Maybe there's some, like, ego involved maybe it's a rookie kind of like um disrespecting i don't know what it is but for whatever reason when benyama and the spurs as a whole are doing a lot worse when so chance running the point and so why bother anymore clearly you see that it works with trey jones there and there are a lot of bright pieces on this spurs team i love devin vassell's game i think he's a very dynamic scorer uh i think keldon johnson has been very good I mean, Zach Collins has had his moments here and there this year. Um, and so I think that, you know, the Spurs should not be as bad as they are right now. And I think you got to start making changes. You got to realize what's not working. And clearly what isn't working is running Sochin at the point. Look, I don't disagree with you, but I'm going to play devil's advocate here. Do you not think the whole point of like having a rebuild and being a bad team in the traditional sense is to be able to kind of make have these experiments and to be able to let your young guys grow and to say, Hey, Victor Roman, Victor and uh, Jeremy, you guys can figure it out on the floor together. I know you can. It's not looking pretty right now, but the NBA is moving to this style of play with the point forward. And I know you can do this. I trust you. And I know you guys can do great things together in a few years. Yeah, I mean, that's a good point. And I think definitely valid there in terms of like how the NBA is trending toward this kind of point forward archetype. One thing I'll say about that is that I think that you have to kind of gauge if it's coming at the the cost of stunting Victor's growth, right? Like if he's getting less touches, he's not getting those in-game situations where he has to make big time shots and stuff. Cause you know, Sochan is just not getting him the ball and they're running actions without him involved. Um, then that's a, another thing you have to factor in. So I think it's a balancing act. I mean, maybe you find a compromise there and you kind of do what they have been doing and 
um, and sort of run a little bit of both and uh, just see where that takes you. I think the Spurs have sort of conceded on the fact that they're not going to be competing for the play-in this year, even though I think if they really wanted to, they could. They could be a team that's fighting to maybe make the 10th seed um, if, you know, all things went well. But uh, I think they've sort of given up this year. And as a result, I actually might agree with you a little bit more. I think that, you know, if they want to experiment more, maybe they want to try, you know, a bunch of different things. Maybe they want to try, um, I don't know, running Collins, Vassell, uh, Sochan, and just running like a supersized lineup or something like that. Um, why not? You know, give it a shot. You're not, you're not competing for anything this year. So Hell, might as well even run Zach Collins at the point, you know? Okay. man. <laughs> not every idea has to be tested. Let's just say that much. If you ever seen this hey, guy try to make passes, it's not pretty. There's no such thing as a bad idea. And then somebody says that and they get thrown out of the office. Yep. There we go. <laughs> but but uh, yeah. moving on, go I think, um, unless you have anything else to add about the Spurs. No, no. Um, okay. So let's talk about Zion Williamson, because there has been a little bit of drama surrounding him uh, after the uh, Pelicans lost in a complete blowout to the Los Angeles Lakers in the in-season tournament. So reportedly, Zion refuses to change his diet um, and, you know, just general life habits to lose weight, despite the team trying pretty much everything. Um, And that's resulted in some subpar performances. I mean, Zion's been having a good season, but nothing like the sort of superstar Zion that we saw um, glimpses of throughout his NBA career, right? I think he had a couple good stretches his sophomore year. I mean, nothing like how he was at Duke, though, and nothing what he was billed out to be. And most of that I I would chalk up to his diet and his inability to stay healthy. And so we've had this conversation a lot on this podcast, I feel like. But if you're the Pelicans, like, at what point do you start to consider – moving on from Zion and, and saying, this is a lost cause. We've done all we could. Let's just get a good haul back for him and move in a different direction, especially when you have pieces like B.I. and C.J. McCollum and so many other of the young guys, right, that are so talented on this team. Yeah. Well, I for one, I think it's it's probably pretty hard to get a good haul for Zion, even though he's, you know, such an amazing player. There are some caveats that come with it. Is his, you know, mental going to be in the right place? Could he get injured this season? And, like, he isn't necessarily the superstar he was maybe even last year in his play. So his stock's probably a little down. And the concern would be you probably aren't going to get anything back that's going to be better than what the best you can get from Zion is. So, you know, you're, you're probably at peak with Zion playing well. This is a team that is a playoff team, could win multiple playoff series. You know, we saw them take that Suns team in 2021 to, to, I think it was either six or seven games, and they fought every step of the way. Um, and I think that might have been even without Zion. That was without Zion, yeah. That was without Zion. So this is a team that has a lot of potential, and, you know, with Zion just makes them stronger. Um, you know, I think something that I have no clue what the Pelicans have tried, but, like, obesity is, like, that's it's the real eating disorder. No, I, I don't think Zion is, like, obese. Like, but like I think he has the mentality of a of an obese person, and uh, I mean that in the like worst way possible. And I, wow, like, damn! I, I'm, I'm not trying to be nice to Zion here. This is a team. This is you're getting paid. Like seriously, this is a guy that's getting paid mil like generational wealth. 
to do the thing he loves, and he can't stop eating Oreos. Like, that's <laughs> his problem. And the thing is, this is a team that's given them every opportunity. Even in the contract, he had, like, a, a maximum body fat percentage clause, which he's clearly broken, and the Pelicans probably are just too scared to do anything about it because of the whole player empowerment thing. So... You know, it's a really tough situation for the Pelicans, and I have no sympathy for Zion here because this is clearly all on him, and it's put the Pelicans in a tough position. Um, like, LeBron was running laps around Zion around the court, and, like, they, there were times where they panned to Zion from, like, a side view, and, like, he's just dribbling the ball up the court, and you see, like, layers of fat just jiggling as he, <laughs> as he brings the ball up. And it's like, look... You see the power. You see the ability, the leaping ability. You see the ability to go get those offensive boards, get put back dunks. Like he likes to play from the outside, and it's just so hard to do that when you're a hundred pounds bigger than Charlie Charles Barkley was in his prime. Like, it's it's ridiculous. That's pretty funny. That was a good rant right there, and I think you know <laughs> it's pretty hilarious. I won't even lie, but I think that's um. Yeah, I can't disagree, honestly. I think it's that, hard you know, to follow that up, I know. <laughs> I think that look, the the Pelicans have had success without Zion. Like you bring up that 2021 series. This is a team that has a lot of competitors, a lot of great young guys. I like Willie Green as a coach. Um, I think that Zion is just too problematic. Like maybe it is time you just cut your losses and you might not get the most ideal haul, but there's definitely teams out there that might want Zion, you know? And I know Wizards? you gave him a... The Wizards? <laughs> what haul are you going to get? <laughs> Kuzma and Poole? Or even, like, I could see a team like, I don't know, even the the Hornets. Like, Can you Zion, imagine, can you imagine Zion in Miami, though? On that heat culture? No, it wouldn't work. He, they uh, would not be able to whip him into shape. I don't think anybody can whip him into shape. <laughs> so funny (laughs) but i think uh if you're zion like you gotta come to terms with the fact that like this could be a this if anything if the in-season tournament showed us anything it's that this could be a wake-up call for zion and he could say all right it's time that i get into shape and you know um he's had five wake-up calls though he's had five opportunities to have wake-up calls after injury after injury after injury the 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 straw that broke the camel's back should have been the weight clause, the body fat percentage clause in his contract. That should have been the thing that woke him up. And it's like, wow, I don't get money if I don't stay healthy. Mm. And now he knows that, that there's some leeway, there's some wiggle room because it clearly hasn't, they haven't said anything to him. Yeah. They need to get this man a therapist. That's what they need to do. <laughs> no, a therapist, a dietitian, they're getting this man on everything. But I think that's enough talk about Zion. I think you pretty much hit the nail on the head there. Um, that's pretty a good. Harsh, but... <laughs> a little harsh, but but necessary. You know, tough love. Um, moving on. I love you. Sorry. Love you, Zion. <laughs> <laughs> if you're listening, Z- yeah, Zion. If you're listening, Hunter loves you. So don't be be easy on him. <laughs> but I want you, in light of the in season tournament, um, I want you to rank a couple of defenders. Um, a couple. I meant four right. defenders. Uh, from one through four in terms of how good they've been this season, just purely off their defensive ability. So the four players I had in mind were Anthony Davis, Rudy Gobert, Bam Adebayo, and Giannis Antetokounmpo. Right. I really value diversity and defensive capability. 
and that's why I'm going to take Anthony Davis as the number one defender in the NBA. I think he's consistently undervalued. He changes entire offensive schemes. He can play on the perimeter. He can play on the inside. He can defend pretty much anybody in the league that isn't named Nikola Jokic. Like, literally, if you're not bigger and more skilled than Anthony Davis, he can defend you, which it's really hard to be bigger and more skilled than him because there's only one player in the NBA, and nobody can guard that guy. Um, but, you know, Anthony Davis, this is a guy they put out on the perimeter against Tyrese Halliburton to get stops, against Steph Curry to get stops. And at the same time, he's getting blocks in the inside. But it's it's not even just the counting stats. It's not the blocks. It's not the steals. It's none of that. It's the fact that he alters every single shot and he's a deterrent from the rim, which, yes, you can say about Rudy Gobert, and maybe you can say that about Giannis to the same extent, but the, neither of them are the same perimeter threat that Anthony Davis is, which is well hmm. I, why I have him at my number one defender. And number two, another guy who's consistently undervalued as a defender, I'm going to have Bam Adebayo. This is mm. a guy who can do all of what Anthony Davis does in very similar ways. He's just a little smaller, so he can't do those same big man things as well as Anthony Davis can like on the glass or he's not quite as vertical, but he's definitely a lot more athletic than Anthony Davis is. So I'm going to put him at number two. And this is where it gets hard for me between Giannis and Rudy. Uh, I'm going to go Rudy Gobert at number three. Like I think the st- the statistics favor Rudy Gobert in this sense. And I think he's technically the most favored guy of any of these players from a statistics standpoint. Um, but, you know, he is that guy. He's a three-time uh, defensive player of the year. But I think that he's slightly overvalued as far as like, you know, he's a lot of the, the counting stats. You see the defensive rebounds, you see the blocks, and that's what gets him the award. Not so much what's outside of that. Although he is that same high level rim deterrent that Anthony Davis is. Just take him outside the perimeter and he's pretty negligible. Um, I'm going to have Giannis in fourth just because I think especially this season, you know, the Bucks have been a very subpar defensive team. And, you know, Brooke Lopez and Giannis Antetokounmpo are supposed to be some of the best defenders in the NBA, and they've just not been proving that nearly as much as the other three guys on this list. Mm. Yeah, I think that you're – that's pretty much what I had to a T. I think that, you know, Anthony Davis consistently underrated, doing all the small things defensively, and I think his presence on the defensive end of the floor is the greatest out of all four of these players. Like, he is – the ba- biggest factor when I think teams are game planning their offensive schemes uh, more than any of the uh, of these other guys. I think, yeah, what takes Rudy down for me a little bit is the fact that he is um, he can be exposed so much. You know, like we've seen playoff series where teams just attack Rudy Gobert by getting the switch on him and then pulling him out to the perimeter and getting to the rim like that. Uh, but you can't say the same with any of these other three guys. And I think I'll have Rudy at three, though, because like above Giannis, because, as you said, just the team dynamics are favored. They do have the number one defense. And so that factors into things um, being the best defender on the number one defense. Got to mean something um, and statistically like the best defender. But, you know, it, it, most of this comes from the eye test. I think that defensive stats more than offensive stats can be deceiving because, you know, as you said, like. Just because a player gets a bunch of blocks does not mean they're a good defender. Case in point, Hassan Whiteside, right? Like this is a guy that would intentionally like give up baskets to go for more blocks, right? Um, so you just really got to watch these players to understand their impact on the floor. And I think uh, you had a, a perfect list right there. Um, so Thank moving you. on to the, the last thing I want to talk about here, 
So NBA University put together a list of, um, I think it's like the basically top 100 players uh, based off of um, effective field goal percentage on pull-up jumpers. Uh, and I think the criteria is minimum 50 attempts. So we're not just going to have like, okay. I don't know, like uh, <laughs> Demoy Hage or Demoy Hodge, like coming in for one second to get one pull-up and he has 100. So it's guys that are genuinely like, you know, rotation kind of guys. So And this is on pull-up jumpers specifically? Yeah. It's, I'll say the list is very unexpected, but... Um, am I trying to get me, the top five? What am I trying? To try, get just trying to get some some guys on this list of the, in the top ten. I'm gonna I'm gonna get the two guys on here who I think could be effective would be Shea and uh, Tyrese Halliburton are two guys who come to mind. I know they're very yeah, high volume. Both on there. How Halliburton's number okay. Halliburton's three. Uh, Shea's at ten. Okay, so Shea's a little lower, but that makes sense because he's probably not taking as many pull ups. Um. He's actually taking more pull-ups than uh, than Halliburton. Really? Okay. A guy on there, I don't know why he's just popping into my head, but Duncan Robinson seems like a guy who'd be taking a lot of pull-ups. Duncan Robinson, number one. Yeah. Okay, um, okay. Is Tyler Hero also on that list? Actually, he's been injured, so he might not have the minimum attempts required. But no, but there. no, uh, he is not. But Duncan Robinson, 71.4% on pull-up jumpers, uh, f- shooting, you know, 56 total field goals on pull-up jumpers, oh. which is surprising to me because I view uh, Duncan as more of a catch-and-shoot kind of guy. Yeah. Uh, is Laurie on that list? Larry Markkinen? Laurie Markkinen not on the list. Ooh. Can I get some hints? Because this is, it sounds like a sure. list. I don't think it's going to be serious. So, uh, so a, couple of these, a couple of these guys are uh, teammates on one of the best offensive teams in the league. Okay. So it's probably not the Pacers because I've already said Mm-hmm. Not, not the Pacers. Okay. Another good offensive team. I'm trying to think what other... Maybe the the Magic? Or am I on the... No. No. Okay. <laughs> They're in the West. They're in the West. Okay. Western Conference, good team. I'm, oh, the Mavs. I'm going to have... Who on the Mavs is a good shooter? Seth Curry's been playing. I'm going to go... Kyrie. Is Kyrie on there? Kyrie's not, but no. Wow. Who's other? Who's the other guy on the map? Okay, so Luca. Luca's there. Yeah, Luca's on there at nine. Um, okay. The team. I'll give you a hint. So I was not th- in the West for good offensive teams. Was not thinking of the the Mavericks. Another good offensive team. Another good. Off- okay, the Nuggets. Um, Michael Porter Jr. Okay, it's Kings. Not like there's somebody. Yeah, there we go. That's it's the okay. Kings. Oh, it's got to be. Um, Kevin Herter's got to be on there. Though. Kevin Herter's number two. And who else is on and there the, from the Kings? Is it Keegan Murray? Not Keegan Murray. It's a bit more obvious. Oh. Okay, so it's just got to be um, De'Aaron Fox then. Yeah, De'Aaron Fox is eight. Okay. So the only guys you're missing... This is, a, this is tough. Tough list. Yeah, you're missing uh, a couple guys. Um, uh, you're missing... Um, Two guys that I would say are like a bit on the older side playing in the West now. Um, one for and playing on the West. Yeah, one guy plays for New Orleans. One guy plays for Eric Gordon. The Clippers. No. Um, okay. And so, uh, New, uh, New yeah. Orleans older player. It wouldn't be well. It's pull up threes. Actually, you know what? Is pull up, Valanchunas... pull up jumpers, pull up jumpers. You know what? Is Valanciunas like that? 
from the midi? <laughs> no way. No way you just said that. No, no. I'm, 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 uh... Who the hell on the Pelicans is older? Pull up jumpers. Oh, I think okay, Brandon Ingram? No. I mean, like, he's past 30. Past 30 on the Pelicans? I can't... Oh, CJ. Yeah, CJ McCollum's number six. And then for the Clippers. The Clippers, there's a lot of old players on the Clippers. But, yeah. Um, efficiency in the Clippers, who comes to mind? I mean, Kawhi comes to mind with efficiency. It's not It's not the guy you would think of. You would think he's, he would actually be inefficient. Norman Powell? Nope. It's, no, you James, think just, oh, it's James, yeah. Is it James Harden? Is it it's James, James Harden? Harden. James wow. Harden. Honestly, good on James Harden for being on this list. Honestly. Yeah, seriously. Um, okay. That's tough. This is that's this is a tough stat to get. Honestly, it really is. Um, I guess the uh, the last guy I want to mention is, um, uh, what's it called? He plays for the Boston Celtics. You're, I don't know that you're gonna guess this one. It's not. It's not. Not. Not a guy you would expect on the Boston Celtics. Malik, Malik Beasley. Oh wait, what am I saying? He's on the Bucks. Malik um, Beasley thought... is on the list though at number four. With that was a crazy really? accident. Okay. Yeah. Because <laughs> I don't know why I was thinking just, uh, the Bucks in my head, but he's a guy who's been shooting the lights out. Um, Celtics. Not a guy I'd think of. Peyton Pritchard? I don't know. Nope. Not Peyton Pritchard. Is it uh, Derek White? It is Derek White. Yeah, there we go. Okay. Awesome. Congrats. I'll all right, that. that's all 10. Honestly, um, I did better. I did way better than I thought. I kind of got astray with the. Uh, <laughs> yeah, seriously. There. That was impressive. But if now, now, if you had to guess who has the lowest field goal percentage, um, this one, he plays for the Utah Jazz, and we have a. Special kind of connection to him. Oh, that's got to be THT, bro. <laughs> it is THT. A whopping 21% on pull-up jumpers. Oh, well, you know what? This, this is a guy we gave up uh, for Alex Crusoe because he he was our up-and-coming star. Um, You know. So. Yeah. <laughs> tough, tough, tough spot to be in as a Laker fan. But hey, we won the in-season tournament, bro. Banner 18. Hmm. Got got the champagne out. Got a little celebration, a little cigar, you know. Yeah, this is a successful season to me. Even if we don't win anything else, you know, I would view this think, season as a huge success. I'm ready to get into the off season, man. Let's get into yeah. the next season, bro. The, the sure. Yeah. What over. what changes do you think the Lakers should make in the off? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> this right. is our new. I pod. think that's a great place to call it. Definitely. All right. Thank you all so much for listening. Uh, we'll be back next week with more timeout talk and talking about all things NBA. So thank you all so much and we'll see you then. Take care. Peace.